0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This summer at FPC, we are exploring our God-given capacities for curiosity, creativity, and play. Last week, Wilson explored the creation story in Genesis 1 as a foundational text that reveals God's creative nature. Today, we consider the Beatitudes, often believed to be Jesus' first sermon. In Jesus' creative hands, this whole idea of blessing or happiness becomes something entirely new and unexpected. Scholars refer to this teaching of Jesus as the Sermon on the Mount because he climbs a mountain to deliver it. This happens because Matthew wants to connect Jesus' words on this mountain to the words God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, the words of the Ten Commandments, which established the rules for God's people. Now, this is not just a first sermon that serves as a warm-up to the rest of Jesus' teachings. Matthew wants us to understand That this mountaintop teaching lays the foundation for everything else Jesus will say and do in his ministry. And through it, we discover that Jesus has come to offer us a new way of seeing and understanding who we are, who God is, and how God invites us to be in community with one another. Anton Chekhov's 1898 story, Gooseberries, tells of two friends whose walk across the countryside is interrupted by a torrential rainstorm. They detour to the home of another friend who has a large farm with a mill and a pond. That friend invites them to stay the night. But before that, they they go and enjoy an invigorating swim in the pond. Then, warm and dry and out of the rain, they gather in the farmhouse for tea. As they sit there together, one of the friends, Ivan, tells them the story of his brother, an unhappy government official who made it his life's goal to buy a farm and live out his days enjoying country life, surrounded by field and forest and eating homegrown gooseberries, his favorite food. After many years of building up his savings through just and some unjust means, the brother finally achieved his dream, and a few years after that, Ivan paid him a visit. He found his brother living happily as a country gentleman. He had got what he wanted, Ivan tells his friends, and was satisfied with his lot and with himself. But seeing his brother in this state, Ivan confesses that he was assailed by an oppressive feeling bordering on despair. That night, he lay awake hearing his brother return to the kitchen again and again for more gooseberries, and he reflected on the nature and cost of happiness. Now, sitting with his friends, he shares his assessment. Look at life, he tells them the insolence and idleness of the strong, the ignorance and brutishness of the weak, horrible poverty everywhere, overcrowding, degeneration, drunkenness, hypocrisy, lying, and yet we do not see or hear those who suffer. And what is terrible in life goes on somewhere behind the scenes. The happy man is at ease only because the unhappy ones bear their burdens in silence. And if there were not this silence, happiness would be impossible. It is a general hypnosis. Ivan continues, Behind the door of every contented, happy man, there ought to be someone standing with a little hammer and continually reminding him with a knock that there are unhappy people, that however happy he may be, life will sooner or later show him its claws, and trouble will come to him, illness, poverty, losses, and then no one will see or hear him just as he neither sees nor hears others. But, Ivan concludes, there is no man with a hammer. The happy man lives at his ease, faintly fluttered, by small daily cares like an aspen in the wind. Ivan's role in Chekhov's story is to be that man with the hammer, knocking at the door of his friend's comfortable life, reminding them there is more to life than their own happiness, particularly if that happiness comes at the expense of others. It is not unlike the role Jesus assumes in pronouncing the Beatitudes. Now, these formulaic sayings are not unique to Jesus. They're found in several places in the Hebrew Bible, but the other Beatitudes are logical, like this from Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread. Now, that Beatitude is rooted in logic, the logic that by following the rules and keeping the right company, one can earn God's blessing, and with it, the gift of happiness. But Jesus uses the blessed are you or happy are you formula to challenge the notion that happiness is the result of good works and faithful living, and even more surprisingly, to challenge the notion that unhappiness or suffering is punishment. Jesus' beatitude suggests that while much of human happiness is achieved by willfully ignoring the suffering and needs of others, our God never ignores the suffering of God's people. And in fact, Jesus says, it is those who are suffering that receive God's presence and tender care according to Jesus, and contrary to appearances, God's blessing hasn't settled on the highly educated, those in positions of power, those who have amassed great wealth or achieved great success. God's blessing is on those who are suffering or experience all experiencing all manner of misery, mourning, poverty, longing for justice, and on those who are working tirelessly, not for the sake of their own happiness, but for the health and wholeness of others, the peacemakers, the merciful, and those who follow Jesus' example so closely that they are persecuted for it just as he was. We can call this creative, But the truth is, it doesn't make a lot of sense. How can Jesus say that it isn't those who are happy and healthy, accomplished and wealthy, who have received God's favor, but in fact, just the opposite, that those who seem miserable are actually blessed by God? At best, it's confusing. At worst, offensive. Well, New Testament scholar Dale Bruner suggests that in this first sermon, Jesus is offering his followers and us a template for the life of discipleship. Bruner notes that these Beatitudes can be divided into three groups, the need Beatitudes, those who are broken down by suffering, the mourning, the poor, the meek, those longing for justice. Then there is the help beatitudes of those who are strong enough to work for others, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, the merciful. And finally, there is what Bruner calls the hurt beatitudes. Blessed are the persecuted, those who are reviled and insulted. Bruner says these are the ones who take flack for trying to bring Jesus' blessing into a strangely resistant world. But it's not that we are assigned to one of these groups at the beginning of our life and then we never change. Instead, Bruner says the life of faith is the constant movement among these groups from being in need to being a helper to being persecuted for our quest for justice. Bruner calls this pattern the aerobics of discipleship. It is the ongoing workout of a life of faith And it is in moving through these different postures, these experiences of how we relate to God and one another, that we experience the blessing Jesus proclaims in his sermon. This blessing is not to be confused with the superficial happiness epitomized by Ivan's brother passing his days on an ill-begotten farm, eating berries in willful ignorance of the suffering of others. Happiness that comes from God is of an altogether deeper, richer, and more complex variety. Today, we had the privilege of baptizing two children, and we are understandably reluctant to imagine they will ever have to experience suffering in life. But baptism is not a promise that God will ensure our happiness by preventing us from experiencing hardship Or despair. Baptism is the promise that God understands our suffering, for in Jesus God has lived our suffering. The promise that God sees us, sees our despair, and never ignores us or turns us away. Baptism is also the claim that we are never alone. For our identity as God's beloved connects us intimately and inextricably with the whole human family. My friend Amy told me recently the story of waiting to board an airplane and witnessing a woman in the gate area rudely making demands of the people around her. Clearly, she was someone who felt entitled to certain treatments and amenities. Her behavior made Amy furious. But of course, when she got on the plane, the woman was sitting right next to her, she decided the best she could do was ignore her in an attempt to hide the contempt that she felt. Well, mid-flight, the plane hit some nasty turbulence, and Amy found herself in the midst of a panic attack, She was struggling to breathe and fighting intense nausea just when she thought she could not stand another minute. She felt a gentle hand on her back and heard a voice say soothingly, you're okay, it's okay, keep breathing. We'll get through this together. With the Beatitudes, Jesus reveals a God far too creative to adhere to rigid formulas. And he invites us to think beyond ourselves, beyond our tribe, beyond snap judgments and long-held assumptions about who is worthy and who we are justified in writing off. Happiness that results from insulating ourselves from the suffering of others Is not happiness at all, and it certainly isn't a sign of God's favor. The Beatitudes remind us that true happiness is not found when we grasp at happiness by ignoring the suffering of others or by repressing our own longing and despair. True happiness comes when we see others as God sees us, as vulnerable and beloved broken, and in need of care, when we allow the suffering of others to pierce our hearts, when we move toward one another in a mutual dance of giving and receiving as each has need. This is the life of discipleship, not a farm where we live out our days gazing at the scenery and eating our favorite foods, but a lifelong call To join God in giving and receiving the blessings of community and solidarity and mutuality that is the heart of true happiness. Amen.